Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Kong San with Believe in SSU Basketball here on the Believe Podcast Network. It's a place with a show for every team in San Diego and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this episode, uh, part one of a multi-part series, we're going to dive into a particular season that holds near and dear to my heart, and that is the 2009-2010 women's basketball season. So without further ado, here we go. Hope everyone's enjoying this Sunday afternoon, getting ready to watch episodes three and four of The Last Dance. Hope everybody's staying safe with their loved ones. Part of the inspiration behind the this episode series is in fact the last dance um just watching that and just sort of reliving these moments and as you uncover you know these these moments in the past you forget that you were part of these so many other subplots and storylines and all you remember you know for example in the last shot is the 97 98 in the 97 98 season is is that the last shot that shot you know, Jordan steals the ball from Carmelone, dribbles down, waits out the clock, step back over Byron Russell, game, six rings, done. And you just kind of forget all the build up to it. And episode one and two genuinely highlights that. So I wanted to dive into the 2009-2010 women's basketball season because this is something that's personal for me, but also... Um, I mean, obviously I'm biased. I feel like this is the greatest collection of talent on the women's side in school history. So this is definitely a team that I'll always remember. Um, for context, this was my second year on the practice squad with the team. So I had some familiarity. And for those who don't know exactly what goes on in a college basketball practice, and you have to... Uh, I guess if you have a lot of questions about what a practice player does. So essentially, we're there to act like the other team. Whoever they're playing that week will jump in and run plays as if we're their team. So, you know, there's anywhere from three to five guys on a given practice. Anybody that's either um, transferred or redshirting or anything like that will kind of fill out the rest of the crew for missing bodies. And a practice structure is basically we'll go through drills, warm up, stretch, get some shooting, layup, dribbling, defense, all that stuff, get all of that in. Then there's a moment, maybe about 30% of the way through the practice, where the rest of the team will go in and um, take a look at the film based on whatever the coaches put together. One of the assistant coaches will stay back with the practice squad and go through plays, and we all get assigned particular roles. Um, they could be anywhere from, you know, heavy right hand, dribbles looking over their shoulder, can't really cross over, but really dominant on the right side to, you know, do it all, post up, turn around is their best move over their left shoulder. Um, not much of a person who steps back doesn't shoot the mid-range it's either the three points or layups and can't really jump or whatever so there's so many different roles and it. it helps you personally as a player because you have to just sort of play this role you know many times 
me being 5'9", five, 5'10", five, on a good day. You know, I played the point guard quite often, so it's just sort of knowing who the other best player was, who the scorer was, and the running joke was that I basically just passed the ball and go to the corner, which is, coincidentally enough, the actual emotion of a lot of offenses in college basketball is they'll pass and go to either strong side or weak side corner, um, but that's pretty much all I did. And my roommate at the time was the do-it-all player that would post up mid-range three-pointer, didn't matter. Um, but it was fun. It was fun to see that, and it really opened up another side to watching basketball is now that I had sort of a look in what a preparational week looked like. I don't even know if that was a word. But whatever a week looked like, I really got the chance to uh, experience that. So on game day, you know, I can get mad because one of the girls, you know, was supposed to watch out for the back door or a flare screen and we practiced it and she knew it was coming, but she still didn't react in time. And, and those things really made watching this team fun for the entire season. It was incredible. Um, they, this team advanced to the Sweet 16 in, in the NCAA tournament and this was the furthest in school history. And to understand how the season ended there, I want to take this first episode or part one to kind of go back to the beginning. So for some context, they ended the 08-09 season on a 24-8 record. Um, they got, quite frankly, blown out to a two-seeded Stanford in the round of 32. Final score was 77-49. to um, I remember watching that game and just thinking, damn, like that that's got to hurt. I remember um, there's t- the sisters in the WNBA. My mind is blanking right now. Uh, one of them, Chine, plays for the Sparks. Do they both play this for the Sparks? I think they do. Uh, but those sisters were the talk of the town in college basketball at that time. And definitely it, their skills clearly showed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the team had lost two seniors, Lysandra Dixon and Jennifer Layton Bales and gained two transfers who had to sit out this upcoming season, one by the name of Courtney Clements and one by the name of Malia Nihinu. Um, Courtney was a tremendous wing talent, played in the WNBA for a few years, and Malia was a 6'6 post beast um, who quite frequently elbowed me by no fault of her own in practice just because she's so tall and I'm so short and her elbow is just at the same level as my face. So that kind of hurt but that was sort of the two girls that helped bolster the practice player squad if that was a thing but with the majority of the team intact the Asics were poised to make a return trip to the NCAA tournament and what I learned and what we thought of the season before was just sort of would we be able to get past the first weekend being that we're in the Mountain West it's a smaller conference you know the, the overall uh, level of talent from top to bottom of in within the conference is not as strong as an SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, Pac Twelve, you name it. Uh, so essentially, to me, what I felt was they would have to have a a stronger season than the most. I mean, twenty four and eight is a good record if you're in the Big Ten. If you're in the ACC, that's tremendous. You're top ten seed probably, or top ten overall in the AP polls, but. 24 and 8 in a Mountain West conference, it's kind of tough. 
you would have to win no more than or no less than probably 26, 27 games to even be considered um, not being a double-digit seed. And it's really tough when you enter the NCAA tournament as sort of top of your class and then you get placed as a 10 or 11 seed. And that's what happened in 2009. 2009 with a 24 and 8 record, the Aztecs were a 10 seed. So they have to, you know, beat 7 seed DePaul and then get blown out by 2 seed Stanford. And being a double digit seed with that type of a season, I don't know how it feels from a mental standpoint, but you're effectively an underdog from day one. So I knew that going in, they were going to come back. It's just a matter of how they were going to come back and if they were going to get past that second game. So to start of the season was great. I mean, they got three straight wins, UC Irvine, UC San, or USD, University of San Diego, and Arizona. And then they flew uh, overseas to the Paradise Jam, and things got a little rocky. The first game uh, was against then fifth seed Notre Dame, and it wasn't good. Uh, the offense wasn't the issue. I mean, they shot 42% from the field as a team, 36% from three. Those are respectable numbers. But it was the 23 turnovers. It was the allowing 50% from the field for Notre Dame that kind of stopped anything, you know, any comeback from happening. Back then, freshman by the name of Skylar Diggins. Have you ever heard of her? Uh, she dropped... 21 points and we were outscored by 15 in the first half to end up losing 79 to 84. A couple of bright spots. Janae Morris had 32 points. Quinnis Davis dropped a beastly 25.9 rebound, five assist game. But those two coincidentally also combined for 23 turnovers. So it was was an up and down game. It was a tale of two halves. The first half outscored by 15. It was kind of tough to go I mean there wasn't a lot of motion not a lot of uh, passing the ball around with assists and it was kind of hard to get the offense going but in the second half I mean give even with the fifth best team in the nation at the time we outscored them in a half by 10 so it kind of really highlighted the potential that these girls had from the jump Um, so we were hopeful for the second game but nevertheless it unfortunately didn't work out that way. The second game was against uh, then-ranked 20th Oklahoma, and it was kind of ugly. I mean, the girls only scored for 15 points in the first half, and they just got routed. 48-87 to 87 was the final score. Um, current Tulsa Shock Amanda Thompson was one of five players in double figures for Oklahoma while the Aztecs only had one. They were two of 16 from three, 22 turnovers, eight assists as a team. That that pretty much summed it up right there. Um, and this was concerning for a multitude of reasons. Uh, one was just sort of, was there any sort of burnout or fatigue from the season prior? If you can imagine, you know, the majority of the team comes back, you have a great season, and then lose to Stanford, then you come back, 
three and zero season, then you lose and lose again. Now you're three and two. How how are these girls going to respond? Was my biggest question at the time. Is this this just sort of one of those what if seasons? What if we won a couple games here, won a couple games there? Would that have been different? Um, I really felt that this at this point personally that I was hopeful, but I also wasn't sure how these girls were going to respond in this immediate game. I mean, they're playing three games and three nights. It, there's a lot going on, um, especially with this loss. They could have easily just said, you know what, let's just, what's what's this next game for anyway? Let's just play and get out of here. Um, which, coincidentally, the final game was against South Carolina. And it was, it was, um, it wasn't, uh, I wonder what I want to say here. I want to say it's considering everything that had happened. This is one of those, what you call a moral victory. So in the last two losses, turned the ball over a lot, tough time out of the gates. This time against South Carolina, we actually, you know, came out with a strong first half, only down two at halftime. We lost the game. Yes, that's true. But by three, 55 to 58. It wasn't, you know, what the outcome obviously that we wanted, but the team shot 50% from three, 10 of 13 from the free throw line, had a chance to tie the game at the end. So while at this point, you know, you kind of see the season as a wash so far with a three and three record, this was a sign to me that these ladies weren't going to just back down. Every game to them mattered. Every game was going to be a chance to let the nation know who the Aztecs are. They fought hard and they fought back and that you can sense that there's something brewing here. The, you know, they could travel back. Now they're starting to, you know, getting closer and closer to conference play where yes, you know, your opponents are aware of how you play and who the best players are, but you have experience playing with them as well. And during this time over there, obviously the practice players, we were only watching from home and couldn't really go there or, or offer any words of encouragement in person, but we were excited to get back to practice um, back in at the Mesa. And I think this is a good point to stop with part one. We'll, part two, we'll just finish out the rest of the regular season. Um, I don't know if you can... Uh, discern a few things from here but basically i felt like this was the biggest first biggest test for the ladies and we're going to see how that affects the rest of the season um if you like the show i'll excuse the car horn if you like the show we are uh available wherever podcasts can be found and please rate and subscribe to us on itunes you can find us on believe.com and at believe sports i Finally decided to get a Twitter, found a name, wanted to make sure my Twitter and my Instagram were the same name. So everything's different now. I am at underscore Kongsan Sun. <laughs> ah, still funny. Um, so feel free to reach out on Twitter or Instagram there. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact us at believe.com. So that's it for part one. Um, this is one hell of a team. I miss these girls dearly and 
I hope you got to enjoy this episode. And until next time, go Aztecs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.